What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your free resource for everything Ohio State news and athletics. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on Wednesday, September 6, 2017, from Boulder, Colorado. I want to thank you all for listening to the show. Just as a reminder before we get started here, you can find the show by going to SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand or by subscribing on Apple Podcast and searching to hang out in the Holy Land. Please subscribe, leave a review. Want to shout out to the Ref Man for leaving us some feedback. I didn't get to him last show. So the Ref Man, whoever you are, thank you for uh, for your feedback and leaving a review. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you guys think it's five stars, leave five stars. But if it's one, two, three stars, leave that too. But tell us what we can do to make this show better. It's always appreciated. Enough of that, though. Getting into today's show, it is a huge week. Oklahoma is on the horizon on Saturday. And to talk about the OU Sooners and everything happening for that game, I am joined by the man that did not pick Ohio State to cover against Indiana. And his name is Matt Brown. It's true. I uh, I did not think, you know, let, let, let's start with that. Because I got a little bit of feedback on Twitter about like how I should have been owned for this. And, and honestly... I really feel like the Ohio State-Indiana game vindicated a lot of what I thought about Indiana until, like, the last seven minutes or so. Oh, yeah, Ohio, Ohio State's still covered, but, like, the general thesis of, wow, uh, Indiana's defense is actually good, and they're capable of testing Ohio State's young corners, and this should be an actual game. All of those things happened, did they not? Yeah, no, I, I'm totally with you. I think on when we did the preview podcast for it, we both— picked pretty much the same thing I think I maybe picked them to cover by a point if that but I I don't think anything was really wrong with the analysis that you brought to it and I, I I do feel like a lot of people watch this game like it was an opening season cupcake game like it wasn't a middle of the year conference game like it usually is and I I don't like to play the what if game but if Ohio State played Indiana midseason and this exact game happened I think given the history, especially recently, of what those two teams have done, that people would be like over the moon ecstatic with that game. But since it was an opener and we're so used to like last year, the Bowling Green game, especially in the first half, a lot of people's takeaways, I think, were more negative than what they should have been because Indiana is a pretty game team, it looks like. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm happy to play the what-if game. I, I literally wrote an entire book about it. You did? Yeah, which, which folks, you can get on Amazon and Kindle. Um, no, I, I, I think, I think that's fair, right? Like you're going to expect a little bit of rust first game of the season, no matter what an amazingly emotionally uh, charged atmosphere in, in Bloomington. And I think you're right. If this game was being played October 15th, I don't think people would, would care all that much. Which is, it's very easy to overreact when you haven't had any football in nine months. Right. And now you suddenly have a little bit of football and it's very tempting to draw those, those, those enormous conclusions. The, uh, I, I guess an interesting thing. I feel like part of my optimism about Indiana football was in part because I thought their schedule was going to be relatively weak. But basically everybody in the Big Ten East looked like they were a lot better <laughs> than, than, than last year. Rutgers um, came out and, and punched Washington in the mouth. Maryland beat Texas, which I don't know about you, but I thought that might have been the most hilarious game of the, of the opening weekend. You know, Obviously, um, with the exception of Maryland's quarterback, 
uh, tearing his ACL. Like the way that game unfolded and how gloriously stupid it was was really funny. And uh, you know maybe we don't have enough data on Michigan State yet because they, they kind of struggled a little bit with the uh, you know for a little bit over two quarters with what what I don't think is a very good Bowling Green team, but that might mean Indiana ends up being a six and six kind of team, but but still being top forty five. Yeah, and the bad thing for Indiana too, star receiver Nick Westbrook went out early in that game with I believe it was a torn ACL and it was on a special teams play, so that'll be tough for them. But yeah, the rest of the Big Ten East looked really strong. I didn't watch the. Rutgers game live because I was at the CUCSU game, but I went back and watched it and like Rutgers was never going to win that game, but I was shocked at how well they played them. And and I don't know how much of that you can attribute to blame on Washington, but like regardless, I thought that Rutgers looked like an actual like decent team and getting back to Ohio State, Indiana and in the scope of everything else that happened week one, a, a win like that you look around the country and like you said, it could have been a lot worse. Like you look at all of the Texas schools and everything else that happened this weekend and beating Indiana by 20 plus points, like you're doing okay. Oh, I no, you, you went on the road in a hostile environment and yes, Bloomington still counts at the beginning of the year and you covered a 21 and a half, 21 point spread. You got, I mean like that, that's, that's college football for you. Like teams that are overwhelmingly better lose those kind of games all the time. So let's let's talk a little bit about, about what's what's coming up this week because Ohio State's schedule kind of breaks in a kind of a weird way. I feel like this is really their their only significant te- test for about a month. Rutgers and Maryland's improvement, notwithstanding, Ohio State should still be heavily favored in, in, in both of those games. Are you feeling more confident, less confident, or equally confident in Ohio State's ability in this game? It uh, looks like they're about a, a little bit more of a touchdown favorites. Um, based on what you saw from either team last week. Yes, and that is to say I am very confident. And I went back and listened to our podcast from last year, and we talked a little bit about being worried about this game last year, not this year's, at the start of the off season, and as we built up to it. And I remember saying that once we got to game week, I felt really confident that Ohio State was going to win and not roll over Oklahoma, but win pretty comfortably. And I think I feel the same way this week and for me and this is something we can talk about it comes down to Ohio State's offense and Oklahoma's defense and I don't trust if I'm looking at this from OU's side that Mike Stoops is going to be able to outcoach Kevin Wilson and what Ohio State has on offense and we saw that last season despite all of the struggles that Ohio State had passing the ball that was probably their most well-rounded game of the year and now that OU's down a not a starting quarterback, but a very heavily contributing cornerback with a torn ACL. I I think that even if Ohio State isn't able to have a a dominant passing attack, you looked at Mike Weber is back. J.K. Dobbins looks like the fucking man. Like He pops up against Indiana, and you add J.T. Barrett to that, I think you're at the very least going to have a three-headed rushing attack. And OU's probably going to be able to score some points, but if – they want to match Ohio State score for score. I don't think this is going to happen, and ultimately, I don't think that Kevin Wilson's going to get out coached by Mike Stoops. Let's dig into that a little bit more closely. I, I I agree with you. I think I think the critical matchup here is OSU's offense against Oklahoma's defense. That's um, more weakness on weakness. I think last year, I think a lot of people remember all of Noah Brown's touchdown catches. They remember that it was probably J.T. Barrett's best. Uh, a most efficient ex- passing game. 
Although he only threw for 152 yards. The, the, the thing was, the Buckeyes didn't really ever need to throw the ball because they ran it so effectively. They dropped nearly 300 yards rushing uh, on Oklahoma between Weber and Samuel and, and Barrett going inside to outside and made those throws both very easy and sucked up a lot of the, the clock you know, away away from Oklahoma. Uh, and that eventually forced Mayfield into some throws that uh, he wouldn't have wanted, it and, and he didn't end up... Um, he threw two picks, wasn't nearly as efficient as he normally is. Like, I fully expect Oklahoma to be able to score. Um, Kirk Herbstreet said on the broadcast, he's been mocked for this a little bit, that Indiana had the best quarterback-wide receiver combo that Ohio State was going to see all season. Uh, I don't think that's true, but I think the total gap between quarterback and wide receivers is not enormous between Oklahoma and Indiana. Obviously, Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback, but Indiana has had better and more... I think experienced and refined wide receivers. Uh, obviously, Oklahoma has a big matchup advantage with uh, at, at tight end. But I, I I think Ohio State's defense, especially their defensive line, is is going to be able to pick up a couple of turnovers and make things difficult for Oklahoma. It's just a question of whether the Buckeyes could punish the Sooners again on offense and the talent, the raw talent disparity between Ohio State's wide receivers and their running backs. And Oklahoma's secondary, I think, is pretty stark. I, this, I imagine this is going to be a closer game than it was last year just because teams as good as Oklahoma uh, don't tend to get smacked by 21 points uh, all that often. But I, I do think Ohio State's going to win, and I'm only a little bit more concerned than I was before the Indiana game. One thing that I'm pretty interested in looking at, too, for Ohio State's offense and Oklahoma's defense is the offensive line because – for as well as they rushed the ball against Indiana, and I think Barrett was only sacked once, I don't think they played their best game. It was by no means a terrible game. But when you go back and look, especially in the run game, they weren't getting a lot of push. And I think Indiana's defense is better than Oklahoma's. But at the same time, can I we, think that OU's— Let's pause right there. Can you imagine—that's that, a, that's a <laughs> crazy thing to say here in the year of our Lord, 2017. Although, it may be true. Oklahoma, Indiana— Better defense in Oklahoma. Continue. I think, and that's not to knock Oklahoma either. That's just how good that Indiana has been. And a kudos to Tom Allen for the way he's coached those guys up. But I, I do think that Oklahoma's defensive line is going to provide a bigger test than what Indiana's defensive line did, especially in the past game and getting after JT Barrett. The one thing that I think pushes it over the top for me is not to stick on the Big 12 cliche here, but Oklahoma doesn't face a lot of teams that are just going to line up and, and smash them in the mouth. And that's where I think that Ohio State may have that advantage offensively the way that you said they did last year when they were able to really pile up the rushing yards and, and not make it so they had to throw the ball 30 times a game. So I think if you're looking at a formula that Ohio State wants to use, not just against Oklahoma, but everybody, that would probably be it. And I'm interested to see if they're able to get that push again because they weren't against Indiana. So that worries me a little bit when you're facing, I guess, more athletic or, or bigger players that Oklahoma has along that defensive line than Indiana. But I, I still think that they'll be able to move the ball offensively. But defensively, I go back to Ohio State was the only team last year to hold Oklahoma under six yards per play for the season. And they racked up 5.9, but that's still pretty good, all things considered. So when you look at it, how what I guess what worries you most about Ohio State's defense matching up with Oklahoma's offense? Well, Oklahoma does have a really good offensive line. 
They might have the best offensive line in the Big 12. They're, they're going to have one of the better offensive lines that Ohio State's going to face this year. And that's saying something because the Big 10 has some very good ones. Uh, and, and that's so important because everything in Ohio State's defense, everything that Ohio State does defensively stems from their ability to dominate that line of scrimmage effectively. I think we saw that against Indiana, which forced Indiana to, to really have to get the ball out of the pocket very quickly and go completely one-dimensional because their offensive line could not run block. And they even struggled in pass protection a little bit. And Ohio State's able to, that became even more apparent, I think, as the game went along, because the Buckeyes have like 10 defensive linemen that they can all rotate who are all very good at that kind of pressure. And most teams don't have 10 really good offensive linemen. So over the course of the game, they're going to get tired. And that's where that's kind of where the dam breaks against a team like Ohio State. And Oklahoma is is much better equipped to prevent that kind of thing from happening, but it's still it, 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 they're still going to struggle with that a little bit. the The concern comes from Ohio State secondary's ability to make the right decisions and win some of those one on one battles. I actually think they do a pretty good job tackling in space, and um, their defensive line is going to help them out a lot. But Indiana showed if you have a very accurate passer, and Baker Mayfield is certainly a very accurate passer. You can beat some of those guys, especially because Ohio State's defensive, uh, their secondary is not huge. And, uh, if, you know, Indiana was able to throw the ball so effectively. I, you know, if those teams played 10 times, I don't, I don't think we see as many passing yards, uh, you know, in like eight of those games. But Oklahoma is equipped to do many of those similar things. So like, I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if Baker Manfield throws for 350 yards. That and and that's always a little bit concerning when you have guys that are capable of making making some of those big plays, especially with in the tight end passing game. But it's not game breaking unless Oklahoma then can also either run the football or have uh, steady and consistent pass protection over the course of an entire game. That I'm I am skeptical of. But if it does happen, then this becomes a very difficult shootout. The thing that most intrigues me about that matchup with the receivers against Ohio State's secondary and Mark Andrews at tight end as well is that Indiana pretty much exclusively preferred to throw the ball outside the numbers and get outside. They had some success throwing the ball over the middle. They had a couple big plays on coverage breakdowns. And I don't think, especially now with D.D. Westbrook gone, that that's a strength for OU. I, I can't say that I watched the UTEP game in full, but I, I think that utilizing the middle part of the field is what they do best, and we saw them do that last year. And I'm curious to see how Ohio State looks there because we didn't see a lot of safety play last week, and we really didn't see a lot of linebacker play. A lot of Ohio State's defense, discounting the, the defensive line, getting after the quarterback and stuffing the run, at least in the past game, it was all on the outside. And I still don't think we know exactly what they have in Jordan Fuller and Eric Smith. I know Fuller had the interception, but it was off a great play by Kendall Sheffield. And Damon Webb, he's probably solid, but I still think that's a little bit of a question mark. And if there's one place that Oklahoma is going to attack, it's going to be the middle of that defense. And we saw Jerome Baker make many big plays in last year's game. And I'll be curious to see what they do to match up with Mark Andrews, whether that's him or they have Dante Booker or Malik Harrison on him. But we're going to see more, I think, from the middle of Ohio State's defense in that middle linebacker play and safety play. And I think where that stress is going to be defensively is on them as opposed to outside like it was on the corners last week. That's also a good point. We'll see a lot of Jerome Baker, I think, and his ability to kind of you know play in both areas. 
more so than than we saw the the week before. Mark Andrews is absolutely a problem, though. So let's get a, let's get a score prediction here from you. You seem I th- it seems like you're a little bit more confident about this game than I am. Um, I'm I, I'm a little bit more of a pessimist, I think, when it comes to Ohio State football in general. Um, what do you what are you thinking? How do you how do you think this this uh, this game as a whole plays out? I, I think you'll see Ohio State get off to a faster start because you, you're facing a defense that even though you went up against them last year doesn't quite know your personnel as much as Tom Allen and Indiana know what Kevin Wilson likes to do and just Ohio State's personnel in general. And I think that you're going to add Mike Weber into that equation of the running game, like I said. And Ohio State's going to be able to run the ball. I think they should be able to push it outside, especially with Dobbins, get to the edges. And if they're able to set up those shorter passing downs and not try to throw the ball down the field, because like at this point, it's not their strength. We saw in the second half, they were able to use mesh and crosses and those receivers, Paris Campbell and KJ Hill and Johnny Dixon, they're just not built to go deep in if you get them the ball five, six, seven yards down the field, that's where you let them run after the catch and do their thing. And I think that we'll see even more of that like we saw in the second half last week. And defensively, they'll be able to do enough with that defensive line. They should be able to get pressure. That's arguably the best offensive line in the country. But when you're rotating in 10 guys like that, and I don't figure that OU is going to be able to have that much success running the ball, you push Oklahoma into those passing down situations, and with how aggressive Ohio State's secondary plays, there's going to be mistakes, and I think that if there's one guy to capitalize on that, it's Mayfield, but I also think we'll probably see what we saw last year where he makes a couple of errors, and they'll be able to make plays, flip field position, and get points off of that. So I, if I had to give a score, I would say 34 to 23. I think this is going to be a little bit closer than that, in, in, in part because I, I would be a little bit surprised if Oklahoma's running game is rendered anywhere nearly as one-dimensional as, as Indiana's was. I, I certainly don't think it's going to be a strength here of this offense, um, and I, I do expect Ohio State's secondary play to be improved. Being at home, I think, helps helps in that, in that situation. I, I imagine this... You know, for being honest, this was a game that was circled more in the offseason than Indiana was. But I, I think this is going to be, I would guess, Ohio State 31, Oklahoma 27. With maybe the, the Sooners getting that, getting that, that, that kind of that backdoor cover, that, a, a touchdown late, as Ohio State's advantage within the trenches becomes more apparent as the game goes along and that, that limits things. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if Oklahoma scores like... You know, 20, 21 points by halftime and then doesn't score again until near the end of the game um, because the Buckeyes are, 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 are positioned schematically and talent-wise to just kind of choke a team off um, into the second half. You think that'll be the biggest story from this game is that kind of like the Indiana game, you see Oklahoma maybe not get out to a, a big lead or even take control of the game, but they do most of their damage in the first half and then by you know, the late third quarter, mid-late third quarter, you see Ohio State's depth really start to show up. That makes sense to me, and I think that's going to be something we end up seeing a fair amount this season, Uh, in part because Ohio State's secondary is young, in part because Ohio State is so well-coached at all their position groups, and that gives them an opportunity to make adjustments. That's an advantage that I think will favor Ohio State in virtually every single game that they see this year. And they were a slower starting team last season, and you're, you're still breaking in new offensive coordinators, new system, new tricks, Uh, that's going to take some time, I think. Well, as good as last week was, this week is even better around college football, and it's a 
fairly loaded slate. I'm looking at, I, I set up like a viewing guide for myself yesterday just so I can keep track of everything from morning until night. And there's like 15, 16 games on here that I'm really interested. What are a couple that you're most interested in seeing here in week two? Well, you know, I, I the, w- w- one of the things that's frustrating for me, I think, is that the, the way that week two is set up, it's not so easy to watch all of the really good games, I think. This is a, it's a really backloaded kind of schedule. You know, Pitt, Penn State in the in the afternoon at 3.30, I think is going to be uh, fun, even though Penn State's probably going to win by like 20 points. It's at home and Pitt didn't look very good, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotion in that game. It's a, this is an emotional um, Saturday. But it's when the evening, around 7 p.m., is when like almost all of the good games are stacked, right? Like Clemson and Auburn is going to be really fun. I'm not really going to be able to watch it because I'm going to be watching Ohio State, Oklahoma. But how Auburn's offensive line is able to deal with Clemson's overwhelming pass rush and the overall interior of their defensive line is going to be really fascinating because I actually think Auburn might have better skill position on offense. But if you can't pass protect, you're not going to be able to ever beat the Tigers. That's the best chance to spring an upset there. Georgia, Notre Dame is going to be really fun to see if Notre Dame, who finished 4-8 and eight last season, uh, is able to make another important step towards uh, improving that win-loss record for, for this season. They actually looked really good last weekend. I like Brandon Wimbrush a lot. The, the Irish are able to really run the football on a, a defense that I expected to be better. And, of course, late at night, I don't recommend watching this game because I've watched this team play twice, and their offense has been one of the worst in the entire country. But in terms of just pure cussedness and hate and fight potential, y'all got to watch the Holy War. 10-15, ESPN dose. BYU's lost this game six, six, six years in a row, six games in a row, rather. Need to get off the skid here, or their season's essentially over by week three. Between that, Minnesota and Oregon State, Boise State, Washington State, that's 10-30 Eastern, Houston, Arizona, and then San Diego State, Arizona. I, I feel like we're going to have a lot of Pac-12 after dark action happening in week two. And I like that you brought up that uh, that advantage that Auburn has skill position-wise. I, I think they're going to beat Clemson. It's 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 an it's entirely possible. It's the uh, I, I I'm a little bit worried about Clemson. I mean, like Clemson still is gonna be more talented than anybody they play, except for Florida State. But you, you're you're and you know they they demolished Kent State, and that's great. But Kent State's horrible. They've they've got an interim coach. They've been looking for another one. They're like they might they might go through. They're probably gonna win two or three games this year. Um, that's what that's what you should do. But Auburn also has a pretty good defense. Like I, I think that's going to be a really compelling game. I think I kind of like Auburn too. It's going to tell us a lot about about both teams. You know, this is a game that I think Auburn needs much more than Clemson does. What do you think of Clemson's band dunking on Ohio State last week? Look, this may be a controversial opinion. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it too. I thought it was great. Yeah. Listen, bands should dunk as often as they possibly can. And I get that it's like, oh my gosh, this was a semifinal, or why aren't you talking about Alabama, rebel, rebel, rebel. Look, look, you can. If they play some team from Alabama, if they play Stanford or something, they should do that. You're playing an Ohio team. It became a, a poor man's Notre Dame went four and eight meme over the internet. It's not every day you beat Ohio State by 31 freaking points. Stunt. Yeah, absolutely. I, I said, I put something on the, the Twitter account after not after that happened, but after Saturday night where it was like, I'm so thankful for Texas losing, Baylor losing, and A&M losing, and everything else that happened in Mich- or not Michigan's offense, Florida's offense, that Ohio State getting mocked by Clemson's ban was like the 10th meme-worthiest thing 
of the week. So kudos to the college football gods for giving us that saving grace. And like to the fan, we had somebody tweet us that was like, well, it wasn't even like really a great formation. Like somebody well actually us on the actual formation of the 31, nothing like, listen guys, sometimes you get dunked on. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah. As a, a foremost internet authority of being dunked on, I'm like the Sean Bradley of Ohio state Twitter. That's part of life. Sometimes you take those L's. And then when Ohio State plays and beats Clemson again sometime, they can do a script version of the score. Uh, and their marching man can do it better, and as it should be. That is the circle of college football life. Last thing here before we wrap up, Stanford-USC happens an hour after Ohio State-Oklahoma goes off. What are you feeling in that game? I still like USC, and and that's from somebody who likes Stanford a lot. Their, their running backs, uh, I think it's Love, showed just almost as much explosiveness as they had with McCaffrey, they still have, you can maul people along the offensive line. Um, it's difficult to take too many of the defensive takeaways from, again, pummeling a, a terrible conference USA team that was distracted while their, their home city was being ravaged by a hurricane and playing 3,000 miles away. But the foundation of this Stanford squad is still very much what Stanford football is. Um, and, that, and that's a compliment. That's a team that's given USC a lot of trouble this year. I think maybe the Trojans overlooked Western Michigan a little bit. And uh, assuming that their wide receivers and their offensive line step up a little bit more from last week, I still like their talent level a little bit more. I like what they're able to do on defense. I think they'll beat Stanford in a close game. I think we're about to get a very meme-worthy performance from USC. You think they're going to get stomped? Not the, They're not going to get stomped, but they're playing at home, and whenever USC plays at home in one of these big games— if you listen to podcasts or go to like CBS Sports and hear national guys pick it, they'll say, well, USC's playing at home. Like, that's not an advantage for them. Not even that Stanford will have fans, but just the way that stadium is, the way that atmosphere is, USC playing at home isn't a big deal, especially against a team like Stanford, like you said, that's had their number as as of recent games. And I think with the way that Stanford plays, they'll be able to just bully them around the way they, they have in the past. And it'll be a great game, I think, but... Ultimately, I'm still not quite sold on Sam Darnold being as good as people say he is. I think he's very good, but not one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the country. But I think that Stanford is going to be able to play the way that they want to, and you'll see Bryce Love has have a big day. It's un- Again, it's unfortunate that that's a game that most of us are going to miss. If there's a day when you need to have two televisions, uh, it's, it's this week this evening more than any other time slot i think in the next month you can if you want to go take a nap you know and 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 maybe start start things a little bit later i think that's fine because the noon shift is uh is very noon shifty i mean there's really only there's only one game worth watching at noon you and i both know it and we'll leave people with this you know what you're tuning in at noon on saturday right el asico el asico i was gonna win by a lot? I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, for, for as good as their defense looked against Wyoming, Wyoming had a couple of plays where uh, they had a wide receiver drop a ball in the end zone. They had some questionable at best play calling, I think, in that game. And I, Iowa's run game, at least in the first half when I was watching, they didn't look like they had a decided advantage in the trenches like you would figure Iowa should have against a team like Wyoming. And Iowa State always gets up for that game, so I I would assume Iowa will win, but I'm not banking on it. I'm also intrigued on Northwestern Duke. That's that's kind of sneaky. I think that Duke's I think that Duke's gonna win that game, Matt. I like that game. Stop it. Stop it. 
The one thing I'm not interested in, though, especially early, and I don't even know why this game is happening, Cincinnati's offense, what would you say is the over-under for how many yards that they're going to get? 134. I think that that would be a great day for them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 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 not a fair fight. Lane Kiffin going to Madison and getting his ass turned into hamburger is not a fair fight. We're going to have South Florida playing at friggin' 1030 in the morning when I'm, like, staggering to get out of bed. Like, no, 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 no. Watch El Asico and then be grateful that you root for a team that that has quarterback play. Um, it's going to be some disgraceful, like, 15 to 11 kind of thing. Forget it. Watch football this evening. It'll be, it's, it'll be a lot more fun. Yeah, watch all the football. Keep up with everything here on Land Grant Holy Land. That's probably a good place for us to wrap up this podcast. It is trash day in my neighborhood, and I have to take these takes outside for the city to come pick up. Um, if you guys want to keep up with the show, be sure to go to SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe there, search Hangout in the Holy Land, find this episode, every other episode that we do. You can also find us talking post-game stuff. We'll have something up either the morning after or you were that afternoon, so be on the lookout for that. And until then, my name is Colton Denning. He is Matt Brown. The spot was good. This is the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>